Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> We're getting into a what I know and, and feel in my, in my spirit is a powerful series. And it's not just going to be a three or four weeks, but it is going to be something that that's going to push you. And today, I really just want to do an overview of Nehemiah. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to preach for 13 hours. What that does mean, I just want to ask you a question. What, what kind of person does God use? Well, what kind of person does God use? Let me, let me just read, and this is not on a PowerPoint, but Titus 3.8 says, this saying is trustworthy. And he, Paul goes on to say, listen, I want you to insist on these things so that who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now again, we're talking about Nehemiah, but I, I want to set this up today with an overview and a challenge because we can preach about and talk about Nehemiah all day long, but if you've, not, if you've not consecrated yourself and put yourself in a position where you will be used like Nehemiah, we're just going to go through a lot of good lessons about Nehemiah. And we're in this for transformation, right? Life change. So who does God use? Well, how many want to be used by God? Come on, this is not a trick question. How many want to be used by God? I mean, nobody says, nah. Nobody really says, you know, this doesn't fit my schedule. Uh, no, nobody really says that. <clears throat> but when you do say, I want to be used by God, God has a very unique way of starting to mess you up. God has, God has a good way of starting to, to just do things, and you begin to see things a little bit differently. And, and your, your life may still be turned upside down, but God's got a way of starting to mess with you. Because I, I have found that I question everything that God does in my life sometimes. I'd love to tell you that I've got it all together. I'd love to tell you that I don't have any more doubts or fears or anxiety. But when God starts pushing and God starts whispering, uh, sort of like what Josh was sharing a moment ago, John, I want you to do this. When I finally got the prayer answered, give it away. Okay, that wasn't from God. Because there's this stretching. There's this, there's this impartation of necessary faith. And listen, this isn't about just building a wall. This is about whatever you're going through. Can God use you? Whatever your challenge is, can God use you? And it's it's very common for us to say, well, I know God can do things, but he can't use me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I don't have the right resources. There's better people. There's, there's a better group out there somewhere. God can't use me. But see, Second Chronicles, and this is, this is the only scripture I'm going to really base this, rest of mes this message off of because, again, this is just an overview. I can't, I've, I've not 
been able to stay away from next week, and it's been on my plate all week long. I even told Corey uh, Thursday, I said, listen, I'm not sure if I'm going to do an overview or not, because I want so bad to get to next week. But I, I think if we get to next week too fast, without having decided, I'm in. Next week's just the next week. So 2 Chronicles 16, 9 simply says this. For the eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him. Why? So that he can show his great power helping them. I believe that even this morning, <clears throat> God is, is looking through this sanctuary and he's just looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him. Now, perfect doesn't mean you're perfect. Perfect means I've made a decision. I, I'm completely yours, God. I'm all in. That's the kind of person God uses. The kind of person that says, I, I, I'm all in, God. You can count on me. Whatever you ask me to do, I'm doing it. Wh whatever you tell me to do or give or go, I'm, I'm there. I, I'm willing to give it all away. I'm willing to do whatever. Now, here's our challenge. What does it usually take for you to get to the point where you're willing to give it all in? Uh, several years ago, my wife, <clears throat> we were living in California, and she was the financial aid director of West Coast Christian College. And her and her secretary were driving down to L.A., and we had just, we had this little car, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're fresh out of college and you're in some of your first jobs and you finally own a new car, that's like a big deal. You can't pay for it, but it still smells good, right? Her and her secretary were driving to L.A., and a truck ran her off the road, and she overcompensated, and when she did, she flipped that car several times. And thank God they were not seriously hurt at all. But that car was totaled. Now, here's my point. Before the wreck, you could not have convinced me at all to give that car away. Now, put your seatbelts on. Because once that car was trashed, it was easy to say, see ya. So what happens sometimes, and then I'm going to unpack this a little bit. What happens is, when God starts pushing us and testing us and planting seed, uh, we're going to look at this big time next week, but what happens is there's this discontent. There's this, you know some things have to change. But as long as we can not have to make a decision to make those changes we'll just keep driving down the interstate of life so so something happens something gets run off the road something gets run into head-on something gets turned over life gets turned over am i making sense things happen life gets turned upside down and you start looking at all the stuff you thought was incredibly important and you start realizing you know what this is not important at all i give myself away Lord, forgive me for ever looking at other things because other things will rust and corrode. This earth will pass away. Heaven and earth is going to be made new. So trying to hold on to stuff here makes no sense. So when we talk about
person whose heart is completely God's because he wants to show himself powerful through that person. It's really deciding this morning, are we really willing to walk this out in such a way that God uses us? So what does that look like very quickly? Because I do have a lot to unpack this morning. What does that look like? <clears throat> well, first of all, Nehemiah was not a preacher. Somebody say amen. And here's why I say that. We allocate the great moves of God to preachers. We try to find out what our gifts are so we can find out what to do on Sunday morning. And when we find out that God might want to use us on Monday, we're like, well, yeah, can't do that. But see, Nehemiah is a prime example <clears throat> that you can be a cupbearer, a governor, a general contractor, a bus driver. I've gotten off of Nehemiah now. Uh, you can be a boss, a teacher. In other words, wherever you are, God's put you there. So get, we, we've got to get past this thing of, well, if God does stuff in my life and I feel like God has birthed something in me, that must mean I have to get involved in the local church ministry. Well, we're not saying you can't, but I'm just asking why. Why would you want to limit what God wants to do to you on a Sunday morning? Why would you want to limit what God desires to do in your life to the four walls of a church when your church might be where you work? Your church might be your family. I know I'm making sense. You're just not acting like it. Because here's Nehemiah, and I, I see three people whenever God starts doing this. And I'm just praying this morning that you really begin to sense that God has birthed something in you that you're just sort of miserable about. That it may have been there for the last two weeks or it may have been there for the last six years. But there's just something in you that's saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't just go through the motions anymore. I can't watch what's happening over there. And it may not even be you personally, but I can't watch what's happening in the world around me and just pretend that it will change by itself. God, what are you doing in me? You're, I'm about half miserable, Lord, but what are you doing? What is that seed that's been planted? And, and, and I'm going to get off track just for 30 seconds. You ready? Sometimes when you get so miserable and life gets so turned upside down, I believe it's our tears that water the seed that God has planted. And we spend a lot of time saying, Lord, get me out of this mess. And I believe God says in a very loving way, something's growing, don't worry. You just keep watering it. But Lord, I'm miserable. Yep, a little bit more. Pastor, are you saying God wants us to be miserable? No, but I've learned that I learn the most when I'm miserable. I have a tendency to pay attention when I'm miserable. Um, if, if you're in school here today, Here's, here's what happens on the night before the test and you've not studied. You're miserable, but you know how to get in touch with God. And your prayers may just be, Lord, bring everything back to remembrance. And then he reminds you there's nothing to bring back. And then you say, Lord, I need a miracle. Do a miracle, Lord. Because now you're depending on him on a whole different level. And, and my whole point is you've got to understand that God plants things in your life that calls you to look at life differently. Now, why is this important? Because he does it in Nehemiah, and we'll see that, but he does it in you. 
And, and you've got to be the one that makes the decision. Nobody can make the decision for you. You've got to be the one that makes the decision. Because when you sense that coming up in you, there's three types of people very quickly. There's a type of person that as soon as they sense something there, they're off to the races. They don't even need a direction. They're just gone. And you usually find them because they're sprinters. I call them sprinters. And when you are running a marathon, the sprinter, that's me, by the way, me and marathon in the same sentence, will ne you'll never find it. As a matter of fact, some would say me and sprinter in the same sentence. It's sort of a silly sentence. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fast walker. So I hear, I hear, and I sense God is doing something. I'm already trying to find a way to get it done. And, and I find myself sometimes worn out before the first turn. But then there's a kind of person that just stands their ground and tries to talk God out of it with things like, God, you know I can't do this by myself. You know I'm not worthy. You, you know there's better people than me. There's better people out there, God. Use someone better than me. But then there's, there's a person like Nehemiah who in his own way, as we'll see, is simply saying, God, there, there's better people. But here I am. There's more qualified, but if you're, if you're wanting me, here I am. There are people who are incredibly gifted, but Lord, you, you've not called the gifted. You've not called the strongest. You've not called the boldest. You know, some of us think that we can't really serve God until he makes us bold. You know, when I get bold, after I take those first two or three steps, and I realize, oh, he's doing the battle. I'm just, I'm just walking in him. He gives me the uh, uh, opportunity to have these encounters with people, whether it's at work or at school, wherever it may be. And, and you may not even have to sit down and quote scripture. You're just sharing stories of your life, how that you're willing to take a step when everybody else would run away. You were willing to say, yes, God, I'll do it anyway. And I just want you to understand that it's really a decision on your part. So when we look at Nehemiah, we're, we're seeing that someone is trying to decide, yes, I'm, I'm giving it all to you, Lord. It's total surrender. I'm not backing away. And I might not be the best. I might not be the, the most perfect. I might not have all the resources. I might not have it all. But if I give him my all, it's like the little boy with five loaves and two fishes. He gave Jesus his all, and 5,000 plus were fed. It's amazing what happens when you give him the little that you have. Amen? So what, what does this mean? Well, let, let me just tell you a little history about this. <clears throat> Let's go back and start with Abraham. How did we get to Nehemiah? Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, the book right before Nehemiah, actually were, was one book for many, many years. Uh, Josephus and Eusebius, uh, two church historians kept it as one book for a very long time but there's a church father by the name of Origen who as they began the canonization process he, he said no these need to be two books so Ezra and Nehemiah share a lot of the same thoughts and processes but from a little bit of a different standpoint we'll see that in just a moment but when you go back all the way to Abraham when God calls, Ab calls Abraham he says I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing and from there launches this uh, generation of families 
that bring us all to today, but he has a son named Isaac. He has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. We know that he has a son called Joseph who was sold by his own brothers, ends up a slave, ends up the uh, second in command of Egypt. Greatly used of God. 300 years pass. Uh, the new leaders in Egypt don't know who Joseph is. So they take all the children of Israel into slavery. So Moses comes on the scene. I'm, I'm, I'm blowing through these great stories. By the way. Moses comes on the scene, and Moses delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. We get to Joshua, who leads the children of Israel into the promised land. And as they go through the promised land, conquering and overcoming, by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, it says there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right in their own sight. There's a, there's a, constant, a constant thread of reality that runs through our relationships with Christ. Things get really, really good, and then things get really, really selfish. Things get to the place where we, we really begin to think, okay, I've given my life to Christ. I've, I've really surrendered myself. God, here's my life. Do something with it. But we fail to really wrestle through some of the real issues, and the next thing you know, we're back into the same stupid stuff again. Well, Pastor, don't we live in an age of grace? Yes, but not stupidity. Um, we're saved by grace, but we're not, we don't lose our minds. We have to renew our minds. If, if there's some things that we do that, that cause... Uh, conflict and turmoil and, and bitterness, you can't just keep doing them thinking, well, I'm saved by grace. Okay? Now, I'm not, not trying to discuss the salvation issue right now. Or Let's say you're saved by grace, but how miserable do you want to be here? Because you can do all kind of stupid stuff, and, and then you'll have to start wondering why people don't want to be around us. And we can't be a light in the world if people don't want to be around us unless you're just taking selfies, right? Now, what does this got to do with Nehemiah? We've got to understand that by the time Judges comes to, to fruition, people are already, once again, doing what's right in their own eyes. Then they start demanding a king. By the time we get to Samuel, they're saying things like, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. God says, you don't want that. If I give you a king... He's going to be able to take the best for himself, and he will. He'll do whatever he wants to, and he will. So he finally allows them to choose Saul, and, and Saul did. Saul, there were times when Saul served God wonderfully, but then there were times when Saul just decided he was going to do his own thing. And after a while, that catches up with him. Saul is now no longer king. But then God says, let's see if we can get it right this time. And even when he tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house to anoint the new king, Samuel, even the man of God, goes in and he's looking for the king that he thinks the king should be. 6'4", 280, bench presses 300, can throw a javelin like crazy, horse whisperer, just got it down, Right? And, and God tells Samuel, no, you're missing it again. 
I'm not looking for stature. I'm looking for heart. I'm looking for the man whose heart is completely mine. Because, see, you can be a little guy with a slingshot, but you'll still kill giants when your heart is after me. You'll overcome enemies you never thought you could overcome. Now, did David make mistakes? Absolutely, and it passes down through generations. Solomon ended up having um, a son named Rehoboam. <clears throat> Rehoboam had a contemporary, a, a friend, if you will, and over time, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the, the kingdom was split. Ten tribes went with Re, uh, Jeroboam, and two tribes stayed with Rehoboam. And the way you can just easily remember that, this is not a big deal, but if you think about it, is Rehoboam remained, Jeroboam jumped. So he split with ten, and after they were defeated by the Assyrians, you never hear of those tribes again. But, but Rehoboam, who has the two tribes, Judah, he remains. Now they're just, listen, they're, they're still just like you and I. Up one day, down the next. Revival, man, God's moving in a powerful way for two weeks. Isn't God finicky? God's moving powerfully, and then the next thing you know, they're in bondage. Now, the Assyrians, again, took over the, the northern kingdom, and they were wiped out around 738 B.C., but around 549 B.C., that's when Babylon comes in and overcomes Judah, what we know as Israel or Jerusalem. This is when you start hearing the writings of Daniel start to rise. You start hearing about the prophets like Ezekiel, their writings begin to rise. Ezra, Nehemiah. Because as they are being brought into bondage, the Babylonians are going in and destroying everything that can help them have any remembrance at all about who God is, their culture. It's just trying to destroy any way for you to remember what God has for you and what God wants to do in your life. And if, Because if the enemy can destroy that, if the enemy can destroy that, you have no bearings on what to get back to. And, and I, I share this with somebody this week, and I, I know I talk to a lot of you throughout the week, and I never want you to think I'm preaching to you. But this is a powerful statement. Um, God wants you dead, and the enemy wants you dead. But now listen, when God wants you dead, it's because you need to die to self. The enemy wants you dead because he wants you to destroy your destiny. See, God's given us a destiny, but you have to die to self. When you don't die to self, you will kill your destiny. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because the children of Israel going into bondage, and, and we've talked about this before, how there were many prophets saying, we're going to be out of here, God's going to do a miracle, we're believing for a miracle, and Jeremiah, thank God, steps up and says, listen, you're going to be here for a while. Build houses. Get settled. Does that mean get settled in the bondage? Does that mean we're supposed to get comfortable in bondage? No, it's about blooming where you're planted. Get, get out of the mindset of escaping from everything all the time. Make a difference where you are. Stop praying for God to get you out and get in and make a difference where you are. And so, so we find the, 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 the children in exile, the, the people of God are in exile, they're in bondage, but then new leadership comes in, the Persians. And over a hundred-year period of time, there's three different waves of exiles coming over. I promise this is overview. Everybody say overview. 
and it'll be soon over. Here, here's what happens. Three waves come. And the first wave of exiles to come to Jerusalem, because even, even the leadership in Jerusalem or in Babylon at that time, they had become very um, accepting of them being Jews. And if they want to rebuild their temple, let them go back. Let them, let them rebuild. So the first wave of exiles that came back were Zerubbabel, a priest that was with him, uh, Joshua, or what we know as Joshua, and then um, Haggai and an, another prophet called Zechariah eventually showed up in this same group, but they went back specifically to build the temple. Now, why is that important? Because building anything else first will not get you where you want to go. Now, this is not about building a church. The Bible tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we're not focusing on building that first, Nehemiah doesn't make sense anyway. If we're not focused on who we are and our relationship with Jesus Christ first, it doesn't matter. Following everything else, it's like having a great flashlight with no batteries. You look good, but there's no power. So they go back to build the temple first. And now listen, they're humans. They're just like you and I. They go back and they get it started. I mean, they're starting and I can see them all going to work now. I mean, they're excited. They're putting God first. They're building the temple. And they get about a year or two into it. And they decide to put more emphasis on their houses. They decide to start businesses and We'll get back to the temple later. Sound familiar? We'll, we'll, we'll start some other things over here. We'll keep God first on the second, on the fly. And that's when Haggai shows up. And Haggai's sort of an in-your-face pastor. Haggai's more like, what? Who told you to stop building the temple? Who... Who died and left you, boss? Get back to work on the temple. Well, people don't like that, right? People don't like it when you get in their face with truth sometimes. And he was a little bit of a hammer. He could get people riled up. So Zachariah would come in, okay, it's good cop, bad cop. But Zachariah is also the one that had the vision because the temple was just taking decades. They were 40 years into this thing and nothing was happening. Zechariah comes in and has a vision. The angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4. And he says, listen, you tell Zerubbabel that it's not by might or by power, but it's by my Holy Spirit. You can try to get people to do things all day, but when the Holy Spirit starts to do things, you will look at a mountain and I will make it a plain. You will look at the struggles in your life and what God can do in your life and through your life. You've been trying and you've decided this mountain's not worth it. And all Zechariah was being told to tell Zerubbabel, you tell Zerubbabel, stop trying to do it on your own. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will make everything in your life that seems overcoming to you, it will be overcome by you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, so you, even sitting here today, um, I'll guarantee you, I know, I know there are, but even for most of us, there are situations in our life It's easy to give up on. It's easy to walk away from. And see, even me saying this is like, Pastor, 
you know, I, I believed in God. Come on, man. This is 21st century. Exactly. So how's all the modern technology working for you? How are all the conveniences working for you? He's simply saying the spiritual man has to be first. Now listen, the second wave comes in, and that's Ezra. If Haggai was mean, Ezra was his daddy. Now, Ezra doesn't come in with hate, but he's like the boss with the Bible. He's going to tell you exactly what you need to be doing. And if you don't like it, well, that's good. You'll, get to, you'll eventually love this. But here's what you're going to do. Because he comes in with the same message of, listen, I can't believe you've got all this stuff, but don't you see how miserable you are? Don't you see how you're just going back into the same bondage time and time and time again? You get yourself in situations. Now, this is not about not having stuff. It's just not having the right stuff. So Haggai on the second wave is saying, listen, you've got to get your priorities straight. So now listen, they finally have a a beautiful temple, and they, they finally built houses, and they've got a lot of different things in the city. Jerusalem's coming together well. But then we get to the third wave, and that's Nehemiah. And as we'll see over the next many, many weeks, Nehemiah gets word that there's no walls and the gates are burned. There's a lot of application here, but listen, here's, I just want to share this very quickly because we experience the same things I'm talking about in our own personal lives, but here's, here's a powerful just one word for today. Without the walls, the influences of the world are going to constantly come in and knock you off your feet. And we say, well, pastor, if we put God first, why do we need the walls? You'll see. That's that's your comeback next Sunday. If if we need all this stuff, why 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 do we need a wall? Why do we it's like you'll see through Nehemiah, it's it's obedience. It's how to live. It's how to lead. It's how to be men and women of God, in spite of what the crowd says, in spite of what the circumstances are. Let's look at something, and I, just, I'm, I am going to close in just a few minutes, but I just want to wrap this up by just talking a little bit about the things I think we're going to see throughout Nehemiah. This is not an outline I want you to quote me on, but it's just the flow of how I feel God's going to take us through Nehemiah. First of all, Nehemiah was a person who got his hands dirty. You can't do what God is calling you to do unless you're willing to get your hands dirty. Now, what could that mean for you and I? <clears throat> it might mean doing physical labor. I don't know. But getting your hands dirty for us is, for instance, and this is not a commercial for grace groups. It's just the reality. When you get in a grace group, you get to know stuff about people. Not to talk about, to pray about, you, you start hanging out with people and you realize their life is sort of like yours, messed up. And you thought you were the only one. You know? So you're living in isolation, thinking that you're insulating yourself from being hurt, but you're just all by myself. And nobody knows. Poor little old me. And there's eight poor little old me sitting in a circle. Until they finally realize... You mean you face that problem too? Oh, so 
CeCe's talking about personalities and getting to know people, and, and, and really hers, without putting words in her mouth, hers is really a powerful example of what can happen when you get to know people. But when you get to know people, you find out stuff about them. They're not perfect. You find out things like they have problems. You find out things like, oh, you know, they need help moving next week. Oh, I've got to join another group. I can't be in this group. Everybody's always moving. <clears throat> I can't be in this group. Everybody's always in the hospital, and I, I'm just not a person to go visit the hospital. Well, don't visit the hospital. Visit them. I know it's awkward. If I'm ever in the hospital, by the way, don't visit me. Because it's like not, most people do not want to be seen looking like that. You know? I mean, even if, it's, even if it's a disaster, just wait for the funeral. See me, see me there. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be as, as good as I can look. <laughs> but it'll be better than laying in the hospital bed and my hair slick somewhere. And drool's running down here, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm hungry. I'm saying that. You're not visiting the hospital. You're visiting a person. You're not, you're not moving furniture. You're blessing a life. That's what, that's what getting your hands dirty means. You're, you're not just going through the motions, and everybody looks pristine and sort of dressed up and ready for church. You're, you're out doing life with people. And it, it spreads. It's not, about, it's not about a church on Sunday thing. It's about where you work. It's about who you're involved with at work, who you're involved with in your family, what's going on, what are the dynamics at play. How does life get better? Your hands are going to get dirty. But Nehemiah also, we see this, he was the kind of person, <clears throat> he wept for the things of God. Now, what does that mean? Again, we'll look at all these things, but for Nehemiah specifically, he realized that he was seeing a cycle of sin. He realized that when you start looking at things from the eyes of God's perspective, um, you can see it with love, but it'll break your heart. A lot of times it's maybe in your own life. Again, those kind of tears water a powerful seed. But it's even when you see people hurting and you know it's because of brokenness, because of sin. He... He weeps for that. He's a person who's not concerned with personal comfort. Uh, and again, we'll talk about this next week, I'm sure. But just understand, although he was a cupbearer, what that cupbearer did was have personal access to the king. Now, in its simplest terms, a cupbearer did a lot of things. But when you bear the king's cup, you just had to make sure it wasn't poison. He had to trust you enough that whatever you brought him to drink... He could drink it. Now, and, and it's even a little bit more detailed than they made him drink a sip first, and then the king got it. No, it, it really was the fact that the king trusted him in a great deal of his um, involvement in the king's life because the king surrounded himself with people who he could trust. So Nehemiah was in a powerful place. It wasn't that he had a, a live in poverty. He was around the king all the time. He had the king's ear. He was somebody. But, but he chose going without instead of just staying there. 
he could have, Nehemiah could have easily said, wow, they are really hurting. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to start an intercessory prayer group for them. Because when God's telling you, no, I didn't, of course you should be praying. I said, get up. Go build something. We're going to pray for God to send people to build something. See that seed that God puts in you? He'll just keep making you so miserable until you are at least willing to say, no, forget it, find somebody else and live in that rebellion. Or you will say, I'm going to go. He was able to give up personal comfort. He was able to give up personal comfort, but he was also <clears throat> willing to have a radical faith that would stand before his king and said, I've got to go. Now, let me just say this. It might seem funny, but this is radical faith because of this. <clears throat> it said he went before the king with a sad countenance. Uh, you didn't go before the king with a sad countenance. When you went before the king, you had to treat him like royalty, like he had the kind of power that he could take care of whatever your problem was. So if you went before a king with, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, really? Kill him. They would do it. I wonder what that would look like at church. If we had the ushers and people came in, I'm here to worship. Take them out back. <laughs> ushers, just uh, escort them right out back. Work them over a little bit and see how they feel. And then everybody comes in. I was glad when they said unto me, I don't really mean it, but the ushers are wild around here. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It, it changes. But see, his radical faith was he went before the king with sad countenance, understanding that he had a problem that only God could solve. He needed the king's permission to go, but he needed a God that would send him. So it was a radical faith. It was a radical faith, but it was also enveloped by a person with a plan. Now, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is always lauded as the, the great leadership book of the Bible. But the reality is, I want to encourage you to always have a plan. And, and sometimes we say, well, I, I want to have that plan before I step out in faith. That's not what I'm talking about. It's when you look at your life, Start planning. Start having a step one, step two, step three. Because when you step out, that doesn't mean God's going to just keep things the same. You'll be amazed at how once you start trusting in God, he'll allow there to be some steps you didn't even know were possible. He, he might even take you on a few extra steps to teach you things that you didn't think you needed to know. Has God ever taught people stuff that they didn't think they needed to know? It's amazing how once you start taking those steps, but it's that kind of, of planning, sitting down, planning things out, because he also had a commitment to those. We see that with commitment, he also had a, a shared responsibility. Now, what does that mean? I, I can't wait till we get to this part, because he used people with no experience building walls to build the walls. He didn't even ask for resumes. Now, people made fun of that. People jeered him. People said, you got people who don't even know what they're doing building walls. Foxes are going to be able to jump on those things and they'll crumble. But here was his incredible, incredible strategy. You know, if, if I tell Pastor Corey 
Pastor Corey, we're going to build a fence around all Virginia Beach. We're going to make sure every house and home has its own security. I want you to be a, a fence builder. If Pastor Corey said, man, I, I don't do fences. No, I get it. I get it. But you're going to build fences in your yard. How safe do you want your wife to be? Well, there's not a man in here who wouldn't be like, okay, I'm using two by fours and then doubling down with a brick. I'm going to make, because see, now, you don't, please don't raise your hands on this one. When you're building somebody else's fence, you'll cut corners. When you're just doing stuff to get stuff done, you'll put a facade up rather than real brick. You'll just maybe stick a two by four through there and just like fill in a gap that the wind could blow down, but it looks good from 20 yards. And, and, uh, and text somebody the picture, job done. And then you go back to your own place and, and nobody knows even who did that part of the fence because we're not holding each other accountable. But how do I know you'll do a good job even if you don't have the greatest experience? Because when you tell me, John, you're building something around your family that's got to stand the test of time. You're building something that only God can lead you to do that when the enemy comes in to destroy, you will have lifted up a standard against it, the Holy Spirit, and no weapon formed against you can prosper. And when you know it's your family on the block, you're going to build differently than you would just be out here doing anything. That was his strategy. I hope that makes sense. Because when, when the enemy starts messing with my family, now please, please, we all are concerned for each, for each other. But do you understand sometimes when, when the enemy's attacking your family, and you hear about the enemy attacking somebody else's family. Who are you more concerned about? Be real. Well, shouldn't we all love one another? Then build a good fence. Don't make me have to leave my fence because you didn't build a good fence. I just didn't, you know, Pastor, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't feel like it. Well, don't be mad when Haggai shows up. and says, what part of stupid are you? What If you don't build the fence, my man, you're going to constantly be attacked. This isn't rocket science. Pick up a rock. Start stacking them. Now, I'm not trying to be facetious this morning. I'm trying to tell you, living for Jesus isn't hard as we make it. We're saved by grace, not by works. But don't be surprised when you keep doing the same things and your life falls apart and you're like, I just don't get it. You're stacking brick the wrong way. All right. I'll get there next week. That's a next weeker right there. He's a person of courage, a person of adaptability. And listen, everything I'm talking about is in every one of you. It's in every one of you. This isn't about a couple of you in here might get it. It's in you. What is adaptability? It means he, he was able to bloom wherever he was planted. If he was a cupbearer, he excelled. If he was a general contractor, he excelled. He was eventually the governor. He excelled. Why? He didn't sit around saying, well, I'm going to wait till I'm the governor because then I'll have a lot more influence. He didn't say, you know, I'm pretty cool at being the general contractor. I can make a lot of money, put up a lot of fence work, and not have to worry with all the stress later. No. He followed God, and he was able to bloom where he planted because he simply walked it out in obedience. Um, Emily, if you'll please come. <clears throat> I'm going to.
close on this last one. Am I making sense? He was a person who blended the practical and the spiritual. Dr. Bucci brought this up out of 1 John this morning powerfully. We have a tendency to live dualistic lives. Now just, just hear me for a second. We are good at being spiritual here and being something totally different when we walk out the door. So, so we, we give our hearts to God here, but then our heart chases another when we leave the door. Now, please, please listen. If that convicts you, that's good. If you're saying, wow, but I don't know if I want to change that, that's okay. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. If there's a part of you that's just saying, no, I don't, I don't care at all, just keep coming. Please keep coming. On the flip side, if there's a part of you that's saying, wow, I see myself. What does it mean to, to not live this dualistic life? What does it mean to not live this one day I'm in the spiritual man, and then the next day I can just do whatever I want and pretend like nothing's going to happen? It means that Nehemiah knew, even in the Old Testament, what it meant that every aspect of his life had to be touched by God. That every part of his life, in him we move and live and have our being. That if, if you're a stay-home mom, a stay-home dad, if you work like crazy, and if you have to work two jobs right now, it, it doesn't matter. Where you're working is where you've been planted, bloom, power. Because there's somebody that you're working with, there's somebody that you're talking that God wants you to be the one that helps them see, wow, I need to put Christ first in my life. I, maybe there's some areas in my life that, that I put first, but I need to put Christ back in the center, not just of church, but my life. My life. Because when you start building those walls, it, listen, it's not to keep people out. It's to keep the enemy from getting in to you. So you can make a difference in the lives of people. So here, here's what I, I just want to close by asking. What is the kind of person God will use? Are you the kind of person that God desires to use? Will you allow God when he speaks to your spirit, when he plants that seed that maybe some of you are already wrestling with, maybe some of you have been wrestling with. Maybe even during this service today, the, the, the Holy Spirit's just thrown out a few things. Yeah, th th this is an area I'd like to work on. And see, I'm not up here to get nosy. I'm not up here to get in your business. But here's what I do know. That left untouched, we all have the propensity to put things first. God falls out of the picture. And then it may take a week or it may take a year, but we find ourselves saying, And it doesn't have to be that. So will you allow God to use you today? Well, I don't feel gifted enough. You don't need to be. I don't feel smart enough. You don't need to be. I don't feel 
articulate. You don't need to be. There's too many examples in the Bible. What you do need to be is willing and, and willing to pursue Christ and let him do that work in you. Amen? Let's all stand together. <clears throat> if you'll close your eyes, if our prayer teams will come up, I want to pray with you. And when we're dismissing just a moment, if you need special prayer, I want you to make your way down here. It, it just could be that you're, you're walking through some things right now. And, and listen, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm, I'm trying to do this a little bit slower than I normally would because there's just so much good stuff. But here's what I realize. A lot of good stuff without digestion is wasted food. I, I want you to be able to chew on some things. I want you to be able to hear what God is saying and, and respond to that thing. Will you let me use you? I've been looking for you. And it's not stature. It's not your looks. It's your heart. Can I have your whole heart? With your whole heart, I can move mountains. With your whole heart, no weapon formed against you can prosper. With your whole heart, even in the midst of storms, you will have victory. God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, that, that we just simply respond to your Holy Spirit speaking to us right now. That we, would, that we would literally take a moment, Father, and just make a decision. Yes, I will follow you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself on the cross. Thank you from coming out of that tomb with power, the same resurrection power that we experienced. But Lord, it's your kingdom that has come and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we can still experience that today. We can experience life change today. We can see families and businesses and cities changed simply because we decide yes, here I am. I want to completely follow you. Now, Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, before we are dismissed today, I pray that you would touch families. I pray, God, that you would touch individuals. I pray, God, that you would touch us because as we leave this place, we do not cease being what you have called us to be. Use us at our places of business. Use us, Lord, at school. Use us, Lord, wherever we may be tomorrow. And Lord, wherever you have us, help us also to be reminded you've put us there for a purpose. It may only be a season, but bloom. Bear fruit, I pray in Jesus' name. So God, I pray that you speak to us and that we would respond in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.